Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of My Naked Mindset. I am your host, Janae Ledger. This is episode number 46, part 2. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you learned something or maybe sent the episode with Nicole to someone possibly going through cancer in some way or maybe a family member that has someone going through this. But I really hope this has spread awareness and just and inform people of this horrible disease. And I can't thank Nicole enough for sharing this story with me and all of you. So without further ado, here is part two. So night before my surgery, couldn't sleep. Um, I think I was up until like 4 a.m. Like I just could not sleep. Um, and for anybody that is going like that was recently diagnosed and is going to have either, um, you know, a unilateral mastectomy or a bilateral mastectomy. Um, I cannot recommend enough going and looking at, um, Paige Previver, um, looking up her YouTube videos and even her Instagram. Um, she is an advocate in the breast cancer community and she's what they call a Previver, which is someone who tested positive for, um, a gene mutation. So a breast cancer gene mutation and had a preventative um, bilateral, bilateral mastectomy. Um, so she has a video about like what to expect when you have a mastectomy. Mm-hmm. And if I did not watch that video, I probably would have been way more anxious going mm-hmm. into that surgery. That must have been nice to just see the experience and, and really that's amazing that things like that are out there. Yes. Resources. That's yeah, awesome. it's, insa- it's insane. And it's one of those things that like, I didn't know, like, I didn't know. So like we get to the hospital the morning of the surgery. Um, I get there and we're waiting, we're waiting. Finally, you know, it's like my turn to like go back. So I walk over and this is COVID. So my husband like, you know, can't go into the pre-op or anything like that. So we walked to the elevator and like, that was it. Like they were like, okay, say, you know, bye to your husband. So, you know, we say bye, he goes into the OR waiting room and, you know, she's like, they'll, the doctors will come and find you and like check in with you periodically. So I go up to pre-op, very nervous. I've never had surgery in my life also up until being diagnosed. Um, And I go from like zero to 600, I feel like, because I go from like never having surgery to then having like three surgeries. like two months which is wild um so I've never had surgery so I go into pre-op I'm like feeling very nervous and again I'm telling all of this to the nurse that's like doing all my vitals and everything so she gives me you know meds or whatever to like kind of an anti-anxiety med to just kind of like put my nerves um at ease so I'm very thankful that I watched this video It's literally like three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what is this video about? I'm like, you know, just on Instagram, like can't sleep. Very thankful I watched this video because there's a part in the video where she basically like talks about walking herself to into the OR. And I'm like, that's wild. Like I pictured surgery. Like, you know, you're going to, by the time you get into the OR, you're like already asleep. Like you're already under the medicine. Right, right. So I was like, but, you know, I guess I'll find out tomorrow when I get there, but okay. Like, you know, like she says, be brave and, you know, be courageous. Like, all right, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind in case I need it. Um, 
So they get me all hooked up and they start to wheel me into the OR. And again, I'm like wide awake, Mm. wide awake. That's scary. Like being wheeled into the OR, like, like, it's like, what? Never like, I've never been to this part of the hospital before. Right. It's like a very different experience. Very different. So then I get into the OR and we're talking, you know, my doctor. So then I see, you know, my surgeon and all, all my people like checked in with me before, um, except for my plastic surgeon. So, um, my breast surgeon does the mastectomy and then Mm -hmm. the, um, plastic surgeon comes in halfway through to do the reconstruction prep, like reconstruction and all that. So I was prepped for reconstruction and then they'll do the incisions and everything like that. So he comes in about halfway through. So I met, you know, the breast surgeon, I met the anesthesiologist, all that stuff. So we go into the, we go in there, they like wheel my bed in there. And then they say to me, okay, can you help get yourself on the table? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Oh my gosh. So I'm like, oh, this is the part where she's like, be brave, be courageous. (laughs) So yeah, so you have to like put yourself on to this like table. And granted, like everyone's experience with this is very different. Um, It's just like my experience. But yeah, so I'm like helping them put me on the table. And I'm like awake while they're like strapping down my legs and like putting like compression things on to like keep the circulation going. And, you know, he's like, all right, give me this arm and give me this arm. And they're like strapping down your arms. And, you know, and I just remember having a conversation with, you know, my breast surgeon and, you know, he's asking about the studio and he's asking about the kids and, you know, are you like, how, how is everything? And I just remember being like, you know, I'm just so annoyed because this is cutting into my choreography time. This is such an inconvenience. Like it's about to be competition season and I have dances to work on. And here I am having a mastectomy. Like I was just like, so annoyed about the inconvenience. And that was like the last thing I remember. Um, like the last thing I remember saying, and then like waking up like in post-op. But that, like I said, like, I wasn't expecting that. Like up until I watched that video, like I was like, oh, they wheel me back and I'm like already asleep and I don't feel anything or see anything. Like I like vividly remember, like I could like picture it in my brain, like what the OR looks like. And like, I remember like feeling like how hard and cold the table was. Like it's wild. That is, that is, I'm, I never, I guess I never asked about anything like that before. Like with anyone. I just assume you're asleep on all the movies. Right. You're asleep. Yes, they make it completely different. So this is this is really good knowledge for everyone to hear. So r- really thank you for sharing all of this. It's crazy. So I had um, a bilateral mastectomy with preparation for reconstruction. It was a 10-hour surgery. 10 hour. Um, yeah, it was a long time. So typically they range from like six to 10 hours depending on um, like what you get. If you have just a, a bilateral mastectomy without the reconstruction I think that's like four to five hours okay. but the reconstruction takes like a little bit um and then also depending on like what stage you are and things like that um typically what they do is a sentinel node biopsy and that's where they biopsy your lymph nodes um during that time so instead of like waiting for the results until after like you're done with surgery they actually do the results on site like right then and there so that takes time. Like sometimes, you know, it could take up to 30 minutes or an hour for them to like, you know, or however long to get the results back. Um, so that also contributes to the time is that, you know, they're, so that way they don't have to put you under again, if like that comes back positive. 
Got it. Okay. Um, so that, that for me came back negative, which meant that, um, the cancer had not spread to my lymph nodes. Um, so I only lost three lymph nodes to my biopsy, which I was super thankful for. Um, and I elected to not have the left side biopsy because nothing was on my left side. Mm-hmm. So I only had my right side. Um, and then the next day, um, so I come out of, you know, post-op, they take me up to my room my, you know, it's COVID. So like, I can't have a guest in the room, but they do let my husband come up after like visiting hours to kind of like get me settled, things like that. Um, so that night in the hospital, you know, you're getting woken up every two to three hours to get your vitals checked, things like that. Um, so the next morning, my doctor comes in to check on me, my breast surgeon. And, um, I'm also thankful that this happened. So he brought, his surgical assistant, or maybe she was the second surgeon. I can't remember, but she was a woman. Um, my entire team of, uh, doctors is all men, except for my gynecologist. She's a female, but my entire, like on like oncology team is all men. Um, that's not, I like, it's not super important. I love all of them. I just think it's important for me to just like, feel like a woman like sees things differently. Definitely. Um, so she was a, a surgeon that was a part of my mastectomy and was coming in to check on me with my doctor. And she asked me, have you seen your incisions? Mm-hmm. I said, no. I said, cause when I woke up, I was, I woke up completely bandaged in a surgical bra with four drains. So I had four drains that were there. Um, and I was like, no, like I haven't seen my incisions. And she was like, okay. She said, well, we're going to show you because you need to see them before you leave the hospital. And to me, I'm like, so thankful that she did that because it's a lot to see. It's crazy. Um, but it was almost like the best way to describe it is it was like ripping a bandaid off. Gotcha. Like she was just like, we're going to do this and we're going to do this before you leave. So let's do it right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm thankful she did that because I felt like leaving there and then coming home and then having to do like wound care and drain care and stuff like that at my house with like my husband and like my family and things like that. I felt like I wasn't like, I I was prepared for them to, you know, have a reaction, I guess you could say. Right. Right. Whether it was good or bad. Um, because I had seen it. Um, I mean, they were, they're like, you know, they're big scars. It was a big incision. So I'm very thankful she did that. Um, But yeah, so saw my doctor, checked out, got checked out of the hospital, went to the plastic surgeon's office so they could check and make sure everything was good. And then my husband went with me and they taught him how to do the wound care and the drains. um, So that way he could help me out at home. Um, And that was a crazy, like I said, I went from having no surgery to like this major, major surgery. Um, and then Wednesday, September 29th, I had my post-op appointment with my breast surgeon and that went really well. And I remember asking him like, so does this mean I'm like cancer-free now? And he was like, well, he was like, you're going to have to see your oncologist. And he was like, because the pathology that came back after all of the breast tissue was biopsied showed that my cancer had progressed from non-invasive to invasive and I was now classified as stage one. So 
from, I guess, the time that I had my biopsy to the mm-hmm. time that I had my mastectomy, I had progressed to stage one. Um, and they had found 11 small tumors um, that were ranging in size from one millimeter to five millimeters. Um, and five millimeters is kind of like the cutoff point for you needing um, chemotherapy. So he was like, I can't tell you if you're cancer free, you're going to have to see your oncologist. Um, and then September 30th, I, um, had a follow-up with my plastic surgeon. Um, it was a win that day. He took out two of my four drains. Um, and I was also cleared to walk in my friend's wedding that weekend. So I walked in a wedding (laughs) drains and all. (laughs) That's incredible though. And good for you for just going for it. I mean, that's amazing. Um, So October 1st was the wedding. And before I went back for surgery, um, you know, my breast surgeon came back and asked, and whenever you go in for surgery, they always ask you like, what are we here to do today? Like, what are you having done today? Mm -hmm. So he was like, what are you having done today? And I was like, you know, you know, bilateral mastectomy, you know, with, and I'm going to like lose my nipples, everything with reconstruction. And he was like, okay. So he came to like check the incisions, you know, they always initial like the one that's the bad one, I guess you could say. Um, And I remember him telling me October 1st, right? And I was like, huh, what? He was like that wedding that you're going to walk in. It's October 1st. Like, that's the goal. Like you're going to be there. And I was like, well, yeah, that's the goal. And he's like, all right, let's get you there. So like, that was like a really like cool moment that I forgot about until like just now that I'm like talking about it. Um, but my team has always been like, even my oncologist, like, don't stop moving, mm-hmm. like schedule things for yourself to look forward to. Like, Absolutely. even if it's just like getting your nails done or, you know, inviting someone over to like watch a movie with you or like planning a yummy dinner, like always give yourself something to look forward to. That's like not a doctor's appointment. Absolutely. That's so, so important that was the goal was to like, get me to walk in this wedding. And I did with drains, which was just wild. So nine days after I had surgery, I was at a wedding, um, which is great. Like it was crazy. That's incredible. And your friend must've just been over the moon that you. Yeah. Yeah. She was super appreciative. I mean, I didn't get to do like all the fun weddings. So the wedding was in the keys. Okay. be in like a bathing suit and all that, but I was definitely happy to be there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were super excited about that. So that's how we kicked off October done with the mastectomy. I was like, you know, feeling good. I had two drains out. Um, so when you have drains in, you like, can't take a full shower. So okay. I was like having my hair washed. Um, you know, we have an incredible, um, friend up here that was actually, um, one of my brother's best friends, um, her mom actually, um, would wash and blow dry my hair for me. So I would like, she would try and squeeze me and she was a hairstylist. So she would squeeze me in whenever she could to like, you know, get it washed and blow dried because I couldn't do it. Um, so I'm super, like super appreciative and super thankful, um, for her. That was fantastic. Um, and then the month of October, um, I wasn't teaching because obviously, Um, But the month of October, my goal was to get cleared to return back to like some of my classes. Um, So at this point, I have like colleagues that are covering um, a majority of my classes. And like I said, I teach full time. I teach 19 classes a week, somewhere around there. It's a lot. 
wow. of classes. So I had a lot of colleagues that stepped up um, to cover my classes and I was just communicating with them and writing notes and, you know, getting, you know, making sure I was like, so that way when I came back, I knew like what we were working on and it'd be like a smooth transition. So my goal was um, four weeks. I remember like telling my students like, all right, I'm going to see you guys in four weeks. And people were like, ah, four weeks. That's so quick. I'm like, yeah, no, I'll be back. Um, so I started out with like, you know, a small schedule ended up being like one to two classes, um, a night mm -hmm. and, um, like ease back into it. Um, once I had my two other drains removed, um, so I had for one week I had four drains and then for two weeks I had just the two drains. And once I had those removed, then I was able to drive and take a normal shower. Like I remember that felt amazing just to take a regular shower. Um, so that was crazy. So like, you know, that was the agenda for October and then to start my expansion process. Um, so the reconstruction part of it, when they prep you for reconstruction after a mastectomy is they put in, it's called a tissue expander. Okay. And, um, it's like they attach it's flat on one side and it's, you know, it's like hard plastic and they attach it to your chest wall. And then, um, it almost looks like a snow globe, like a deflated snow globe. Okay. And then they sew, sew you up, um, when it's attached to your chest wall, but it's flat, um, sometimes coming out of surgery, depending on how much skin you have. Um, and like the quality of skin, like whether it's thin, whether it's thick, they can um, uh, fill you up with some saline right after you have surgery. Um, I could, I did not qualify for that um, just because my skin was too thin. Um, so I was flat for like a while. Like I was flat for maybe like two weeks and then they started to fill me up. So then they take um, a needle First, they take like a little magnet and it finds a nozzle. You have like a nozzle on, on the one side of it. Mm -hmm. And then they take a needle and they fill it up with saline. So every single time you go to your plastic surgeon, you get expansion, expanded until you get to the size you want Okay. Um, and your skin is healthy. Um, then you would do like an implant exchange for like the amount of CCs that you have in the expander. Um, so the expanders help to like create a pocket and make sure that you are... Um, completely healed from the mastectomy so that way like the implant can like sit settle in nicely and you're not going to run into complications um yeah. if you're doing a preventative mastectomy and like you don't have cancer they can usually do the mastectomy where they go straight to the implants so because you're not going to have to like have radiation or chemo or anything like that um so the tissue expander is used mostly if you're having a mastectomy with reconstruction and you have cancer. Um, there's also a lot of different kinds of reconstruction. So mm -hmm. if anyone that is listening um, has an option to do reconstruction, um, there's a lot of different ones. There's like a DIEP reconstruction where that's where they use your own tissue to create a breast. Um, there's a lot of options out there. So don't just think like you have to have implants. Um, there's a lot of different ways. Um, and then there's also, it's becoming more common for women to just go flat after um, they have their mastectomy. So that's always an option as well. Um, but there's a lot of different ones, but so I still have tissue expanders in gotcha. um, because I ended up having to do chemotherapy, but that's the next half of my <laughs> thing. Um, 
So October 12th, um, we meet with my oncologist and he basically can't tell me whether or not I needed chemo because my HER2 test came back borderline. Um, if you're positive for HER2 or HER2 positive, you automatically need chemotherapy. If you're HER2 okay. negative, you don't necessarily need it. Um, HER2 is a protein involved in normal cell growth. It stands for um, human epidermal growth factor receptor 2. Um, and it basically causes cancer cells to grow more quickly and spread to other parts of the body. So if you're HER2 positive, it's just your cancer is like growing very quickly and reproducing very quickly, which means it could spread a lot faster. Um, so that's why if you're HER2 positive, they're like automatic yes for chemo. Gotcha. Mine came back borderline. So like when you get your pathology report back, a lot of things will be like three plus. Three plus means like an excessive amount one plus or one minus means like not, you know, not a lot, non-excessive. And then two plus or two minus is borderline. Um, borderline meaning like it's inconclusive. We're not sure, you know, right. or you're on the higher end. So we do recommend it. Um, so <clears throat> my HER2 ended up coming back negative. Um, but the pathology presented that my cancer was fairly aggressive um, and my tumor markers came back as grade three. So he was already leaning towards chemo, but he was like, we need to find out like what this HER2 status is. So they ended up running a fish HER2, which is basically a second HER2 test. That's like a little bit more thorough. Um, and my HER2 ended up, it did end up coming back negative. So we were super thankful for that. So we left this appointment with a win because he was like, um, there's another test that they do after, which is the Oncotype test. Um, and an Oncotype test is the test that is, um, it predicts how likely your breast cancer um, recurrence rate is. So how high it is um, wow. of like your breast cancer recurring. So this is cool because this test didn't exist like 10 years ago. It's pretty new. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of survivors that I connected with um, that were diagnosed, you know, 10 years ago or longer that or, like, or maybe, no, it didn't exist 15 years ago, but maybe it is 10. I know it definitely didn't exist 15 years ago because some of the survivors I can, I've connected with, um, they were diagnosed 15 years ago and they didn't have an Oncotype test. So they were kind of just like, oh. yeah, you need chemo based on their pathology. Um, and the Oncotype test can tell you how high your rate of recurrence is. Um, so it's basically a number scale. Um, my Oncotype number was 29, which meant that I needed chemotherapy. I think it's like anything 24 or lower is like, you don't need it. 25, 26 is like borderline and anything higher is like, you definitely need it because your rate of recurrence is so high. Um, so he does, so the HER2 test come back negative or came back negative, but he's like, but we weren't able to do the, like the insurance wouldn't cover. Don't get me started on insurance. It's oh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. So the insurance wouldn't cover the cost of the Oncotype test or let him run it without the results of the HER2 test. So at this point, I'm, I think I'm about like four weeks post-op waiting to hear whether or not I need chemo and like what the situation is. And it's just like, okay, well, we'll do another, I'll see you in another two weeks, he says. Hopefully by then I'll have the results of the Oncotype test. So we leave that appointment. We're like, you know, okay, like this is a, this is a win, like her two negative, like we'll take it. Awesome. 
because at that point we felt like every time we were going to the doctors it like we weren't getting the best news like it wasn't the most right like optimistic situation that we want you know it's not the news you want to hear so we were like her too negative that's exactly what we wanted to hear we'll take it so we're driving we left the the doctors and my phone rings and it's my oncologist calling and he's like hey he's like I just received the results of your oncotype test He's like, I guess they like had them, but they wouldn't release them until we had the results of the HER2 test. So I was like, why would they do that? Oh no. So he basically tells me, he's like, I hate to tell you this over the phone, but like, you're going to need chemotherapy. So we basically went from like being in an office and like a very controlled situation to like being in the car. And like, it, it was just like very overwhelming. So that was a lot. So I ended up needing chemotherapy and based on my pathology report and the way everything came back, I have a, um, my markers came back as grade three Um, and grade three, basically like tumors and things are graded as grade one, two, three, or four and grade one tumors and tumor cells are like close to normal. They're close to like your normal cells and grade three and grade four tumors do not look like normal cells or tissue. And um, those tend to be the ones that grow rapidly and spread faster. So a lot of my markers came back as grade three, which means that even though I was stage one, my cancer was fairly aggressive. So my oncologist was like, we're going to treat this aggressively because it's aggressive. And you're young. Like I'm young. I was was 30 years old. Like, it's not like I was diagnosed and I'm 60 and you know I have 20 30 years left like I have like 60 70 years that I'm gonna live hopefully absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) you know it's a longer time of like recurrence and you know he was like we're gonna treat this aggressively and I basically my response was like I'm here for it like whatever we need to do let's do it like if we need to be super aggressive like I'm on board because I only want to do this one time I'm like whatever that means we need to do we're gonna do it So a little bit about my cancer, Um, it's estrogen receptor positive. So that means that um, my cells use the estrogen hormone to to grow. So they feed off of it. Um, And then it's also progesterone receptor positive. So it's ER positive and PR positive. Um, So they also use the progesterone cell receptors that allow. So that hormone also feeds the cancer. So I feel like a lot of people have heard the term like triple, uh, triple positive breast cancer. Mm-hmm. That's ER positive, PR positive, and HER2 positive. Okay. So ER positive, PR positive, and HER2 negative. Gotcha. Um, and then triple negative would be like ER negative, PR negative, HER2 negative. It's crazy. You like get diagnosed with cancer and you're like, all of these things I hear make sense all of a sudden right it's wild um they also test for something called a ki67 um which is a score that tells you uh it's a protein in cells that increases as they prepare to divide into new cells so it basically um tells you how quickly your cancer cell is dividing into a new cell um so that's your ki67 um, results less than 10% is considered low. So your cells aren't producing rapidly and 10 to 20% is borderline. And you're high if you're more than, um, 20%. And I think my KI 67 score was like 60%. It was insane. 
Yes. Uh, my eyes did the same thing. Like I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. So after meeting with my oncologist, I like, you know, I got explained all of this and kind of got a rundown. And then a lot of it was learning how to read your pathology report is also just like research, definitely. Like doing my own research on it. Um, and also connecting with like other survivors and like, you know, what does this mean? And, you know, what did your doctor tell you? And some people want to do it right then and there. Like, I know, like, that's how I was. I was like, what does this mean? I need to know. And then some people are literally like, don't tell me what stage I am. Just tell me what I need to do to beat it. Mm -hmm. So like everyone's cancer journey is like completely different. Um, so I needed chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is different when you, uh, are 30 and haven't had kids yet. Cause, uh, they don't really, so chemotherapy could have a negative effect on your reproductive system. Um, meaning that it could make your eggs not viable, um, or make it really hard for you to conceive on your own. So being that 30 and I, you know, don't have kids. My oncologist was like, go talk to a reproductive specialist. And throughout this whole process, I feel like that is something that is not talked about enough. No. Right. Um, like I have no idea. I was literally like, I need to, what? Like no idea that this was even like a thing that people had to do. Um, and I've actually had through sharing like my story on Instagram, had several young people who, you know, were diagnosed that were like, I didn't know. And then because I like watched your story, I was able to like ask my oncologist that and was able to like be prepared to go into that because like, they were like me, like they didn't know, no one like talks about it. Wow. That's Nobody powerful. Talks about doing IVF as a step in breast cancer diagnosis or any cancer diagnosis. Right. Um, and this is for like men and women, you know, um, fertility preservation for men, you know, with like testicular cancer and things like that, you know, especially young people is just as equally important. Um, so end of October, um, you know, we met with a reproductive specialist and I, um, so that was on a Wednesday. So Wednesday, October 27th, we met with a reproductive specialist to get information. And that Friday, October 29th, I began the prep for IVF because I was like, obviously we're going to do this. Definitely. Um, and one of the things that I am hoping um, to bring to light is that insurance companies won't cover IVF or most insurance companies don't cover IVF, even if you are doing it because you were diagnosed with cancer. And I think that that's something that needs to change um, because what 30 year old has 10 to $20,000 to do IVF. And it's a fast turnaround cycle. Like I'm saying, like I started my pre- like appointment, like with like my pre-ultrasound and cause you can't do normal IVF. So in a normal IVF cycle, your estrogen spikes four times its normal amount. Mm -hmm. When you have an estrogen positive um, breast cancer, you can't have your estrogen spike four times the normal amount. Right, right. You're doing IVF and you're on an estrogen blocker to keep your estrogen low at the same amount. Progesterone is also another hormone that's used in IVF. Um, and it's one of the injections that you get. I can't, you can't get a progesterone, progesterone injection if your cancer's PR positive. So right. like my experience with I with IVF, it was very different than like somebody who was just trying to conceive. Gotcha. Um, you know, you're gonna do tracking and they're gonna track your ovulation. Like what people take a month to two months to do, we did in 12 days. Wow. Yeah. 
And it was basically like, what can we do? So we did all that. I ended up, um, so before I had my egg retrieval procedure, I had a, um, my port put in. Um, so the port, I got a power port put in, in my chest and it has a line that goes into my main artery. And, um, that's how they would administer the chemo meds and do my labs and everything like that. Um, it just makes finding a vein a lot easier. I don't have to like sit hooked up and it also um, limits the amount of infection because they're not constantly sticking me with needles. I thought I was going to hate it. Like I was literally like, I don't want to get a port. And then I actually connected with someone through social media and like, I was like, convinced her like you need to get a port like I was like I'm, I'm a port advocate now good that's so nice that you got to connect with so many people and yeah I mean it's it's been it's been wild but so November 8th I get my port put in November 15th I do the IVF egg retrieval and they were able to get two good quality eggs amazing um, for anyone yeah I mean there are some people that will go and they'll get like 15 to like 18 eggs um but quality over quantity Absolutely. So I'm just going to throw that out there for anyone that is doing IVF, whether it's for, you know, fertility preservation because they have cancer or just in general, like quality over quantity. Um, and then, so I, I did that on the 15th and then on the 18th, I started chemotherapy. Um, yeah, so that was wild. So, like I said, I went from having no surgeries to having three surgeries in a matter of like what September three months wow you are a warrior I feel like you go in like autopilot a little bit right because you're you're just like like, what do I need to do and when do I need to do it like my job was going to the doctors like there were days that I would go to four doctor's appointments in Mm -hmm. a row and that's what I would spend my day doing And I mean, I was still working through all of this too, but I wasn't on like a full schedule because like I couldn't be right. Right. You know, and when you're doing IVF, you're literally in the doctors, like every other day, having blood work done, having an ultrasound, having something. So, um, November 18th, I start chemotherapy. I, um, was prescribed four rounds of chemo, one round every three weeks, um, of taxatier and cytoxin. And I would also start um, Zolodex injections, which will, they were used to suppress my reproductive system to protect my ovaries and the eggs that I do have and things like that. So, you know, just another preventative, um, it's just, it's hard though, because they don't really know. It's hard to say the effects of what chemotherapy will have on my fertility because I've never tried to conceive before. And that was like, that's a big thing that they're like, we just don't know. Like, who's not to say that it would be hard for me to get pregnant, even without all of this. Mm. So, you know, it was really hard for doctors to like, give me statistics because they were like, we, we don't, we don't know. Gotcha. Um, So that was, that was crazy. But so I did um, that. So I'm actually, so when I started chemo and I got my Zolodex injection, um, because it suppresses my ovaries, I actually went into a medically induced menopause. Um, and I'm going to continue with the Zolodex injections in my post-treatment as well. So I will be in menopause for the next five years, gotcha. um, which I think a lot of people don't understand either, or don't realize not that they don't understand, but like when you're doing that at 30 years old, 
they're putting you in a medically induced menopause where as if you're going through chemotherapy, you know, at age 55 due to breast cancer, more than likely you're already in menopause. Right. So like the, just the experience is different or you're close to menopause. So they just, you know, like going through this as a 30 year old has just been completely different. Right. It's different. Um, so yeah, so I did my first round of chemotherapy. Um, and then that weekend after, you know, I was feeling, you know, fatigue, things like that. Um, that weekend we leave to go celebrate Thanksgiving. And I ended up with an infection, um, from the chemo, which is like wild. Um, had to go see a doctor. Um, I went to go see a dentist. It was like an, um, like an abscess, like basically in my mouth that got infected. Okay. Um, from a tooth that never caused a problem before. Like, that's the thing. Like, you'll be like, this was never an issue before. And now all of a sudden you get chemo and it's an issue. Right. Um, but when you're on chemo, like if you are running a fever above 100.4, you have to go to the emergency room. Like they take it very seriously. Um, so of course it's Thanksgiving week. So like doctors are on vacation. So it's like hit or miss. And we're also out of town. So I'm not near any of my normal doctors. So I go to see a dentist to determine if it's like a tooth or like the surrounding gum. It's a surrounding gum. They put me on an antibiotic. I end up having an allergic reaction to the antibiotic. Oh no. Wild. So the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we come back in town. I see my oncologist. They figure out the antibiotic situation. They're like, you can take an over-the-counter antihistamine and like all that to like help with the rash. So that's what I had. I broke out in a rash. And then um, uh, my white blood cell count was really low, which is like expected. Um, you know, and basically living with cancer is kind of like going back to like, or if people are still experiencing, you know, like mask mandates and things like that, where they live, like, that's what it's like, you know, no large gatherings, like things that you would do for like COVID, no large gatherings, wear a mask, um, you know, don't hug or, you know, kiss people. That's like a big one. Wash your hands, eat healthy, drink water. Um, that's kind of what it's like when you're like in active treatment. Um, so my first chemotherapy appointment was November 18th, Wednesday, December 1st. My hair started falling out Friday, December 3rd. I shaved my head. Um, I didn't realize it was going to happen that fast. Like I didn't realize I was going to do just one appointment. I knew, I knew hair loss was going to be a symptom going into it. Um, my oncology center that I go to has an incredible like nurse navigator, like navigation team. So I was assigned like a nurse navigator who met with me before I started chemo and basically was like, this is the drugs you're going to be given. This is the amount. This is the expectation. This is how you'll feel. This is what we can do to help you. Here's my phone number. Call me if you have any questions. And um, like I knew hair loss was going to be a symptom. I just didn't know it was going to happen after my first right. time. Um, so yeah, so that happened. Was that experience, like, I guess, how did you feel in that situation? So it's sad because it's like, you're like, it's not your choice. Like you're like, I, I'm right. doing because I want to do this. Right. Um, but shaving your head is like a definite power move. Oh my God. I 100% agree. 
like I like I felt like I felt sad but Mm I also at the same time felt like you know again like brave and courageous and like powerful because it was like taking a situation that I had no control over and kind of taking some control over it yeah um so that's how I felt um it was wild yeah it was it was wild um so you know I had two rounds of chemo in January I mean in December and then um January 20th I had my final round of chemo and got to ring the bell um yeah that was that was awesome that was like it's super emotional like I felt like like I said like going through active treatment you're like kind of on autopilot you're like what do I need to do to make sure this works what do I need to do to stay healthy right you know what do I need to avoid can I work how do I you know what is this going to be like even you know, you do your first session and you have no idea what to, you kind of know what to expect, but everyone's experience is different. And, um, you know, so that was, that was cool. So I did that on January 20th. I, um, finished chemo, my last round of chemo. Um, and, uh, January 31st, I turned 31. Well, happy late birthday. Thanks. Um, yeah. So it was, it was like a wild ride. Like literally I feel like I looked forward to turning 30 because everyone is like, your thirties are like so good right? because you've learned so much and you've grown so much from like your experiences in your twenties. And then I felt like I was in a good place, um, you know, with my career, um, you know, my husband and I, uh, 2021 celebrated five year. We celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary, like turning 30 in January in 2020, 2021 there was like so much to look forward to that year. Like we were like going to travel more and like spend more time together. And I felt like I was in a good place at work. Like we, like I said, we were going to celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary. Like I was like, like life is good. I'm like happy with where I'm at. Like I'm excited to turn 30 and then like you receive the diagnosis and you're just like, what, like what? Right. So I feel like turning 31 was like literally like turning 31 and being done with active treatment and like being cancer free technically is like huge. Amazing. It's incredible. So, yeah. So I'm, you know, starting to get back into like normal life. Um, in February, I went and saw my doctor. So I'm in addition to my Zolodex shots, I'm on an aromatase inhibitor, which is going to keep my estrogen low, Okay. which is crucial, crucial, um, for the first five years after, um, completing active treatment, um, to help lower your rate of recurrence. Um, so that's kind of like what they suggest that you do. And I guess there's a new test out now. I don't know the name of it but he was saying it's similar to an Oncotype test that they can test how your body is reacting to like the post-treatment, like the aromatase inhibitor and the Zolodex to determine if like we're on the right track or like you only have to do it for three years or five is good, or, you know, they recommend longer than five. Um, So, you know, right now we're looking at five years. I feel like they have to, he said they usually test two to three years after I take it. So Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll see. 
Um, but yeah. Wow. Oh, and then, um, you know, coming up next is my implant exchange surgery. So I'll get okay. my permanent implants um, put in. And then I also have to have my port removed now that I'm done with um, chemo. So I'll have that, but I'm just kind of like taking it one day at a time. That was a lot of information. No, I, I just, <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for sharing the story. I'm sure you've probably told it so many times and I, I can't thank you enough for really sharing it with me and my listeners and just, you know, other people out there just hearing your story and probably will hear some of this stuff and be like, you know what, this makes me feel better. Or now I know this. And and I feel like you've told so many things that you've learned and experienced and I think it's so important. And some people might hear something and be like, oh my gosh, like now I understand this and that. And it's, I can't, I can't thank you enough for sharing this with me and, and you're, you are powerful. Like I just, I don't even know you, but I feel so, um, just empowered from you and just, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to cry. Um, but just truly you are, (laughs) you're amazing. Oh, thanks. Um, thank you. It's been like as positive as like I sound and I try, you know, to be that like for myself and for like other people, like there definitely are days that I, I struggle. Um, right. I did start seeing a therapist through all of this. Cause I feel like mental health is like very important. Um, so important. Um, to anyone going through this, like, you know, take care of your mental health as well as, you know, your physical health. Um, sometimes it's hard to get wrapped up in like going to all of these doctor's appointments where you're taking care of yourself physically or dealing with physical ailments that you have to like, remember like, okay, this, there's a mental aspect to this too. And like I said, you do get to a point where you're on autopilot and you're just like going through the motions, but it's important to have someone, I think that like knows your story that you've been seeing. So then when you do have, you know, those, uh, mental breakdowns, um, that you have someone like that you can talk to. And that kind of is like, not just coming in at the mental breakdown, but is you know, kind of knows, the background and stuff. So that's important. Um, Absolutely. Mental health is. Yeah. Just as important as physical health. 100%. And there's, that's a huge stigma. It's like, oh, mental health, like, oh, you shouldn't feel this. And it's like, no, I should feel however I want. And I should be able to talk about it. And, and I, I see a therapist myself. And honestly, it's one of the best things I ever did. Cause it's like, you let it all out. You feel better. You get advice from a third party. Like it's just it is so important. It really is. So, yeah. Um, I think big takeaway is, um, that like what I want everyone to like take away from this is advocate for yourself and your health. Um, if you are experiencing something, you know, and you like your gut is telling you, you know, to go see a doctor or that this isn't normal, like don't stop until you get answers. Um, and then for like women's health specifically, like, you know, do your monthly, you know, there's this huge movement, feel it on the first, like do your monthly, um, self breast exams, um, go for your regularly scheduled mammograms and, you know, schedule your annual, you know, visits. Um, because early detection isn't going to stop a cancer diagnosis, but it's going to be pivotal in, in, you know, a a life or death situation. Um, 
early detection is key into getting treatment that is going to last and give you like a long fulfilling life. It's not going to be easy, right? but you know, early detection is definitely key. Um, and a lo- most survivors that I speak to um, discovered their own breast cancer like myself. So that's why I think it's really important that like you're doing that because like, you know, a doctor that you see once a year, isn't going to know what your breasts feel like on an everyday basis. Um, and you know, your body, you know, and you know, your you body know feels off or, or, you know, yep. this, is, this has been an ongoing situation, like really focus on how you feel. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I feel like that's like a huge thing because this could have been way worse. Right. Me. I give you so much, so much props, girl. Thank you. I'm sending you a big air hug right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Of course. Um, Again, thank you so much. And I am blown away (laughs) by just your strength. And it's, it's, it's inspiring. It's amazing. And good for you for just having a good outlook on it. It seems like I know you said you have your days and I'm sure some parts are really just overwhelming and hard, but it seems like you really just push through and you have, it sounds like you have a great support system, which is also so important. And yeah, that's, that's pivotal. I think getting yourself like, you know, a support system, um, you know, I couldn't have done it without like my husband and my family, um, you know, my friends, and then also like the studio community, um, really stepped up with like, you know, I mean, I had people that like hired people to clean my house and like, we're dropping off meals and, you know, hiring people to like mow our lawn. Like it was just like the outpouring of love, um, was just in, insane. Like we just felt so supported just from like, from every aspect. Okay. Um, but like I said, everyone shares their journey differently. Like I chose to be right. very public with mine. Um, but some people want to, you know, keep it a little bit more private, but if that's the case and you're like caring for someone that is trying to keep it more private, like maybe find, maybe reach out for them and find ways, um, you know, to help them because I know, like, I definitely appreciated, you know, not having to worry about what we were going to do for dinner after I had surgery two weeks ago. 100%. And that's a good, that's a good, um, way to just support and, just mm-hmm. small things that every day I would assume just like the everyday things that you do is just so nice to have someone just help out with that I'm sure it was just a huge huge help so that's really good to know for others that are you know going through this journey um or someone in their family yeah definitely all right are you ready for a game we're going to transition a little bit here but sure. okay yeah. All right. So this game is called this or that. So you can just choose one thing or the other. Okay. So the first one is smoothie or coffee. Oh, that's hard. Probably coffee. Coffee. Love it. Um, pizza or pasta? Pizza. Pizza. Would you rather have a personal chef or personal housekeeper? Oh, probably a personal chef. It would be super nice. Yeah, like so nice. Like I was like rushing to cook dinner and like eat dinner so fast before this because I was like, this will be like dinner time. Oh no, it's totally fine. I I, <laughs> I haven't even eaten yet. And I'm like, I'm, I don't even care. I'm just like z- zoned in right now. 
Um, would you rather direct a movie or direct a music video? Probably a music video. I mean, with my dance background, dance. I mean, I've worked like production on music videos before and it's like so fun. I absolutely love it. Oh, so like, yeah, directing a music video would be awesome. Love that. That's super cool. Would you, if you can only online shop or in-person shop for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? Online shop. Online. Love yes. it. Would you rather live in a zoo or live in an amusement park? Okay. Okay. So I have some questions. Yeah. Is the amusement park like SeaWorld where there's animals and rides Ooh. or like straight amusement park? I think just like, yeah, like water park area and then like roller coasters and stuff. Oh, probably an amusement park. <laughs> Love it. Um, would you rather travel to Europe or a tropical island? Ooh. probably tropical island love it would you rather create a new holiday or create a new language create a new holiday for sure wouldn't that be cool it'd be so cool I love it it's such a cool idea um would you rather road trip or fly to the destination like if it was in the United States <sighs> probably fly and then the last one is sunrise or sunset 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 I'm not a morning person <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um Nicole let my listeners know where they can connect with you oh yes um so you can find me on Instagram it's coley underscore g so c-o-l-e-e underscore g um so that's where you can find me i'm also on facebook um nicole smith but on instagram is where you're gonna find um like i have highlights of my story and um i also post like update videos and things like that so if you're going through it um or you want information or you know someone going through it or you just want more of my story um instagram is going to be the place to be awesome well thank you so much i literally can't thank you enough and keep doing your thing. And just, I just give you so much credit for, for sharing your story with all my listeners and me. And thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Well, thanks for, you know, letting me do this. Um, you know, this is my first time sharing my story on like this type of platform. So I'm excited to like reach more people and raise awareness and all that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. It was such a pleasure having you on today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I truly appreciate it and I know Nicole appreciates it. I hope this sheds some light on the battle and all of the experiences that Nicole went through and shed some light on breast cancer and the awareness about it. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this episode I hope you guys connect with her. She's such an amazing person and I'm so happy we connected. You know where to find me at My Naked Mindset on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Please connect with me. I so appreciate you being here and thank you for listening to another episode. I love you all. Bye.